everybody, and welcome to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been suggested to me by people who have been on the show before. For instance, Sophie Jenis, this month's guest, was recommended to me by Kevin Gonzalez. So if you liked that interview, you'll probably like this one, and if you like this one, you'll probably like that one. You can support the show at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. You can get things like early access to episodes before the normies and perhaps some writing that nobody else gets, depending on your level of patronage. You can also do a one-time donation type thing at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. Otherwise, the show was made to be free, and free it shall remain. Sophie Jenis is a poet from the Hudson Valley of New York. Her writing has appeared in New York Tyrant and Haber, among other places. Her poetry chapbook, Find Peace Either Way, was published by Blush in 2019, and Hot Young Stars came out this year on House of Lad Press. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Sophie. Some of your poems feel subconscious to me um i read your interview with the nervous breakdown where you talk about writing intuitively and it feels almost like um like surrealist or dada in nature what's your philosophy when it comes to writing poetry like that is that something you keep in mind or is it not yeah i would say it's definitely something that i you know, have intention behind when it comes to writing from that place within me. I think that my philosophy really is connected to the idea that you shouldn't need any sort of, you know, formal training when it comes to writing poetry. I mean, I do think if you appreciate poetry and like the art of it, obviously it it's nice to, you know, learn as much about it as possible. But I also think that you know, there should be absolutely no rules um, and that, you know, anything can be just as beautiful as something else that, you know, has a lot of structure to it and, you know, pays homage to like, you know, older writers. But I also think for me, not the way that I go about it. And so I definitely do. Um, it's sort of like a mix between trying to to write intuitively and then not trying at all if that makes sense yeah i think so i i feel similarly um and i I also feel like um trying to like designate what is you know kind of like coming from my fingers and what is being actively written by me is like hard to find that barrier definitely and i feel like how I start my poems is, is interesting because I because I try not to think about it. I'll be sitting, you know, at my desk and I'll have to sort of decide if I want to try, you know, writing a poem. Usually nothing. Once in a while, things will come to me without even getting in the mindset beforehand. But usually what ends up happening is I'll be sitting at my computer and trying to force myself to try to write and I will always have nothing in mind, and then it either happens or it doesn't. I don't want to say, you know, the magic happens, but I'll either just be sitting there, like, staring at the blank page, forcing something to come out, and then all of this stuff comes out that I love, or if I start to think about it and start thinking about, like, 
imagery or concepts before I write, then it already it's just going to be too forced. So, right. Uh, yeah. I think we're on the same wavelength with that. So I suppose that brings me to uh, editing. Uh, the idea of editing poetry is such a mystical art to me in general. Um, but what is what is the editing process for you like? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's a little bit varied. There's a lot of times I'm very, I'll say I'm very resistant to it, but I've also seen many instances where it's editing a poem has, has made it a lot better, <laughs> but normally so I would say most of the time there's little to no editing for most of my poems but then for example the first draft of my book I was like part of my philosophy behind that was like okay great that's you know everything it's raw and everything and then you know actually giving myself that chance to dive into the work once it's already the first draft is already written I you know I realize okay there are you know, different word choices or different sentences that can be taken out or added that actually would improve this. So I would say, you know, the editing does happen, but it's certainly not something that I, I try to do in every one of my poems. I can usually tell if there's a poem that I'm really happy with and it doesn't need, you know, I don't want to change anything about it. But, you know, if I'm on the fence about a poem, I'll see if I can edit it or if I just want to scrap it. Mm. Um, that as I'm thinking about your process in relation to mine, what's your, um, relationship with like, uh, with academia and, and writing? Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, it's a challenging relationship. I often think that when I try to think about, you know, my level of intelligence or certain things, you know, my academic abilities and my writing abilities beyond poetry i think that that's where i believe i fall short i have a lot of um trouble sometimes sticking with you know a, a body of work that requires you know that extra level of you know effort behind it and it doesn't come naturally to me to sort of engage in in you know texts and things of that nature that, you know, are on a bit of a, that level, I guess I would say. And so I'm not, I would say I'm pretty not engaged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm already you know, getting nervous talking about I it. Got so. you. I understand. Yeah. What I find is in, in my own writing is that I was able to, to pretty well charisma my way through high school. And then I got into college and rather than waste my time trying to edit things, I just trained myself to write as good of a first draft as possible. Um, and that's, that's where I was getting at with asking you about editing, because I find that that carries through now when I'm writing where it doesn't matter in the sense that no one's going to like reprimand me for writing something badly and putting it out. Um, I still have that, like my editing is, um, more of a extended line editing than a, like a, a real let's go through several times and, you know, mm -hmm. focus on all these different things. Right. Because then it sort of, you know, is counterintuitive if your intention is to be, 
yeah, as intuitive as possible. And so I think every change is getting farther away from that. But like I said, I do think I've seen a lot of benefit in it as well. But I, I completely agree that, you know, if, if that's your inclination, it's probably, you know, might be going against, you know, your process if you suddenly switch that up. So I definitely agree. Sure. Okay, so so your most recent work is Hot Young Stars. I want to give an introduction to people who have not yet had the chance to read it, what to expect. I'm doing that? or You, you or... please. Oh, God, not me. <laughs> so basically, I the first body of work I've ever written was a chapbook that I wrote um, about a year and a half ago. And it was essentially the same process, just the intuitive writing, you know, sitting behind the screen, having no idea what's going to come out. And those poems were a bit more serious, you know, um, a little bit longer um, in uh, contrast to this book, um, Hot Young Stars. It's basically I wanted to do what I did before, but I wanted it to be a lot more fun. I wanted the book to feel fun and a lot of that translated to having really short poems because I wanted things to move fast. I wanted it, I really wanted it to feel inviting. And I sort of wanted other people who aren't so, you know, into, you know, the greats, the classics, or just a lot of poetry that's out right now. That's really what I would call like beautiful and you know, I wanted it to be accessible to people that maybe say they don't like poetry, not not saying that I can pull that off, but that was what I wanted to, you know, hopefully um, offer. And so, yeah, it's basically, I think someone described it as like diary entries. It sort of is like a mix between trying to describe like a a dream that I've had, which isn't what it is. It's, it's not me describing dreams that I've had, but basically it feels somewhere in between, I would say maybe describing a dream and a diary entry and a passing thought on the subway. Like all of those things mixed together is how I would describe the poems in, in the book. And um, yeah, I just, I want it to feel fun and uh, fast paced and um yeah, that's sort of how I would give an overview of it. Sure. Yeah, I'd say you succeed in, in both of those things. I had a good time reading it, and it was geez, it took me like two days to to, <laughs> to get through it, which is nice because I've been reading lots of very dense, very long things lately. Mm -hmm. um, in your interview with The Nervous Breakdown, um, you mentioned that the first poem in there is the first one you wrote. Um do you write everything in the book chronologically like that? Or was it, uh, did you switch up poem order, order around? Afterwards? I definitely switched the order around. I think my intention for the order was that I wanted um, what poems that I found the strongest or the ones that I enjoyed the most sort of like mixed throughout. <laughs> so it mm. wasn't like, you know, giving my best at the beginning or at the end I wanted it to feel like even and of course that's super subjective of what I like the best um, you know doesn't necessarily mean anything for anyone else but you know it made me happy to feel like there was 
balance as far as like my favorites and um, the stronger pieces from my perspective, just like mixed evenly throughout, I, I would say. And also as far as like when I wrote the poems, that's also sort of the same way, like some of the earlier poems I write, wrote could be near the beginning or the end. So it's it's definitely mixed. But yes, the first poem is the first one I wrote with the intention of making this book. Okay. That makes sense. I I had a class in college where we talked about like if you're going to write a full-length poetry manuscript, what how do you organize those poems? Mm-hmm. And it was a very weird couple of class sections because um it was a lot of people just kind of like brainstorming ideas. Like I'm sure there is a really like I'm sure there's a method to it. And I'm I'm sure every poet has their own method to it, but it seemed like talking about it seemed so weird to me. Mm-hmm. Was there a general consensus of what people agreed on? Mm. I th- I think if there was, it was something similar to how you described ordering the poems in your book. Like, sp- let's sprinkle the best, strongest ones <laughs> sort of throughout and then sort of try to, like, order things by tone, mm. uh, which I think is kind of how I would try to do it. I'd, if if I were to write a full length of poetry, and God help us if I ever did, but I, I would try to do some sort of, like, emotional gradient throughout. Mm. Um, I, I one time made a playlist where I decided I was going to start with, like, Nintendo core pop punk type stuff and end with surf rock and, like, try to weave together songs in an order so that no song seemed too jarring from the last in terms Mm. of how it felt or sounded. And I feel like I would probably approach ordering poems in a very similar way. That sounds definitely like uh, a smart approach, like sort of taking the reader or the listener like on a journey that they can follow basically as as you were saying, like without feeling like there's a sudden disruption or something that will take the person out of the experience. Yeah. And I feel one of, one of my, one of the things I feel the most self-conscious about when I'm reading poetry is I'll sort of realize that I don't remember what the last poem I just read was like at all. Like, so used to reading prose that like of course you have to know what you just read on the last page to be engaged with the story but because it's a more ethereal sort of thing uh i feel really like guilty or something that like oh my god did i did i even read that did i just let my eyes glaze over it and um so i think because of that I've, i've kind of come to that conclusion where i need to at least make what the person is feeling throughout makes sense if they're not if they're going to be like me and not even remember what they read five minutes later yeah that's really interesting it's funny that you sort of feel bad about that just to yourself without anyone else you know knowing but i think that's sort of sweet to you know actually care about you know what you're reading in that way and giving sort of the author you know I don't know what word to use, but I think, you know, I understand what you mean. And I, 
I honestly haven't thought about that as far as my book, like wondering if the next poem is going to completely take the reader out of what um, the previous poem was. But I think that, I think I mentioned this in the interview, but I, I really enjoy setting, you know, an entirely new stage, so to speak, for each poem, because I, I just, I view them as separate experiences. And, um, but at the same time, obviously, I do want someone to, you know, have a cohesive, um, for there to be like, a cohesive feeling of who I am throughout the entire book. So that if you read one thing, and it feels a little bit weird, or you don't understand it, you can at least use the context from the rest of the book as far as you know the tone or the content but I definitely don't mind having someone read a poem and have it feel very you know standalone um, and not you know entirely connected to the rest of them yeah I, I think you set the precedent for that within hot young stars um just within the poems themselves like um with, like within a poem i can be in a lot of different places um like uh if you hopscotch and then lean back the sun will shine is is one and there was another one um that i probably won't be able to find quite quickly enough but it had something to do with it was another one of the the shorter ones that it was like um i don't know just kind of took me from one place to the other quite quickly um so you know having the context of the white space on the page um in between poems and having no poem names i think kind of works in that way Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that not everyone would or will enjoy that experience of sort of feeling like there's a lot of different like directions to have to, you know, try to follow or just not understand how two things connect. And I obviously don't always understand how two things in a single poem might connect, but in my mind, it always sort of makes sense. And so sometimes I'll forget if there's a poem where there's like, a few different things going on or just you know a few different images that I'm pulling in and to me it might make sense and then you know someone else obviously they're not in my mind so it might totally just fall flat for someone else but um yeah but that's a, that's perfectly fine yeah well and I feel like that's the nature of poetry uh, yeah, especially when it comes to writing I don't know I Anyone who, who's listened to any of the other episodes of this show where I talk to poets kind of know my, um, I don't know, weird relationship with poetry. I, I'm just like, I'm so, so blocked um, by it. Like, oh dear. Like, it's so hard for me to even explain that, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I something in my brain long ago, like, made poetry hard for me to engage with not in like the sense that I dislike it or can't get into it because I do like it and I do get into it but to speak about it and think about it is uh difficult 
for me as a person who wants to make sense when he speaks. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And I think that's honestly part of why I'm passionate about writing like in full sentences, even if it's still confusing, because for me, I feel similarly um, to how you feel. Whereas if, if I'm reading a poem and I'm feeling confused, um, I think half the time it'll inspire me to get, you know, more into it and, you know, read it over and over and try to understand it. But then half the time it'll just make me frustrated and I'll sort of give up and be like, I have no idea what's going on. And then I'll think, how does anyone else have any idea what's going on? Like, is that the point? And so to me, that's also why poetry is super subjective because I'm like, does everyone but me understand what this person is getting at here? (laughs) So it can definitely, yeah, I I definitely feel the same way as you do oftentimes. Good. (laughs) Thank goodness. I wonder if I wonder if Twitter has anything to do with it because I definitely felt that way in college, but I feel like Twitter is just a college classroom with a bunch of people who are uh, not in college anymore. Where it's like, if I'm going to say something about this, I really feel like I got to know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, oh, go ahead. I didn't really have any. Oh, I was going to say there's probably some sort of like toxic masculinity baked in there too that like I need I feel like I need to speak authoritatively if I'm going to speak about something something or other that's interesting yeah I'm not sure I mean I think you would know more than me but I think even less than toxic masculinity I feel like it just sounds like you want there to be some confidence behind what you're saying and feel like you know if you don't want to speak on something, you know, without sort of understanding it. And I think that makes sense for other things as well. You know, like with news articles, we sometimes just like retweet it and we didn't even read the article. And so if someone tries to engage with you about it. It's like, oh, wait, like I actually don't feel comfortable speaking on this. So, right. Yeah. Maybe that's amplified now that I work in news that like, listening to people speak for money about something they clearly haven't thought about or have thought about only in the way that they can like twist uh, Mm. is is something that sticks with me and then to go to something as subjective and watery as poetry uh, is both refreshing and terrifying definitely um what's the uh um, what has your publishing experience been like? That's something I'm always kind of fascinated about. Totally. Yeah. And I've felt the same, you know, being fascinated, um, you know, curious about how anything sort of comes about, um, as far as, you know, publishing or, you know, making art. And so for me, I've really sort of when it comes to putting work out there, whether it's, you know, on online magazines or just with these, with the chat book and this book, I think admittedly it's really just come from me putting myself out there and not being afraid to start a conversation with someone who maybe works at, um, you know, one of those magazines or, you know, in this case, 
you know, at Blush where I published um, the chapbook and then obviously House of Vlad. And I think it just came from, you know, when I was first starting out in this scene, if you want to call it that, I was very nervous and I, I didn't know anyone and I felt, you know, not so confident and like I didn't know who to reach out to for anything or I was scared or if, if there wasn't an email right there on the website i was like how the heck do i hmm. talk to anyone and so once i sort I, I guess i eased into it a bit i i met one person and then i was like hey do you think i could just hit up this other person they're like yeah like there's no rules and that's sort of what i like about going you know more on the independent side with publishing because i don't feel like i have to you know do a bunch of tricks to like get noticed or you know be really formal about things and so I feel like for me it just came from starting to get really friendly with people and you know feeling comfortable enough to reach out where it wouldn't just seem like it was coming completely out of nowhere and I think that came from you know building friends on Twitter and on you know going to a few readings and meeting friends of friends and so really it was just you know reaching out to people and um, building that sort of collection of friends and colleagues, if you want to call it that. So that's basically what I would have to say mm. about that. Yeah. Well, cause house of Vlad press is an interesting press to me because they seem to be this haven of, of some of the bigger name alt lit people like Noah Cicero, Sam Pink, Bud Smith are all people who get brought up by people who have, you know, been drawn into this style of writing. Um, Definitely. So is your, like, relationship with with a reading work in this scene, um, does that come, like, concurrently with trying to, to put work out there, or did you find it before you were writing for publication? I would say it happened around the same time. I think I remember reading a few um, like poems from a few authors and I didn't really know what scene they were a part of. And then I sort of found out the scene and it, I definitely started out as a reader. And, you know, I don't think I would have felt comfortable or genuine if I just started submitting stuff without really knowing a lot of people or reading their work. So it definitely started out from that side, but it pretty much turned into happening at the same time like just being a fan of everyone and then I think I felt more confident as I started actually you know having relationships with and by relationship it's more like online friendship or right. I, I definitely have some friends that I know in, in person from you know this whole little scene or big scene whatever size scene, but um, that definitely made me feel like I was more a part of the, the group and that, you know, I was accepted and that, you know, my work was valid in the sense, like I had a chance just as much as someone else, you know, that sort of feeling. Mm -hmm. So that helped for sure. I got it. But yeah, definitely started out, you know, as fans of, you know, a lot of these writers, I remember, um, I think I remember like some big moments of like that felt like turning points. Like I remember being in Portland. I just went on 
um, a trip by myself, like in September, 2018. And I found, I went to like, um, Powell's and I Mm -hmm. found, um, Bud Smith's book work. And I don't even remember where that was published, but I think it's like one of his earlier books. And I read it and I was like, this rules. Like I knew who he was like vaguely on Twitter because I think, you know, I recognized his name and that's why I pulled out the book and I, I loved it. And then, you know, I became like acquaintances with him and I've hung out with him and Jackson in Jersey city and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, like, you know, that's sort of just like reading that book in Portland and being like, yeah, like I, I love this. Like I want to be a part of this. And, um, moments like that were sort of felt like turning points for me of just like being more drawn in and familiar with people's work and being excited to sort of, yeah, be a part of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, civil coping mechanisms so people can (laughs) save, save their emails or whatever. Not that, not that that's a thing that's happened, but that's what they say on podcasts. But yeah, I, I totally get that. What, so there's a an interesting thing that popped into my mind when I was talking to Sam Pink, and I I tried to like ask the question, but I didn't I didn't have it formulated in my brain uh, correctly. But so much of this particular indie writing scene is fictionalized autobiography, fictionalized. Au- you know what I'm talking about? Autobiographical, yeah. but but fictionalized. I don't know why I can't say that right now. I can normally say it, um, but because everybody is like at a certain age, there's behaviors in all of these books um, that, um, you know, pe- people like in their mid to late twenties, early thirties would do, um, and so like the idea of what is what is the sam pink book sam pink in his 60s would write is fascinating to me and and i was thinking about that with your poems too because they're you know youthful in um in like scope and idea and and whatnot so like i don't know and and that coupled with the fact that um there's this feeling that I get from a bunch of writers and Zach Smith on on the show even said um, that he wasn't trying to like get to a point where he could write full time Um, and that seems to sort of be the prevailing idea that I get from a lot of people like what does this group of writers write about in 40 years (laughs) like is that something you ever think about or is that something that is that an idea that we should entertain honestly i haven't thought about it but as you bring it up i think it's super interesting because some of my poems in the book are intentionally you know sort of from a more youthful style like i think there's there's a couple where it's like okay is she trying to not sound super intelligent for this <laughs> poem and I most of the time like I said I'm really not thinking about anything but part of me like 
enjoys taking it to that place of like I don't need to impress anyone with the way that I'm writing and this you know um so it it is interesting like oh maybe I can't write that way when I'm 60 you know and what you know what will I rely on or lean on or you know what kind of style would I want to find at you know at that point um and I think I guess it would yeah really just depend on who I was at that point and understanding that things won't be the same and as far as writing full-time yeah definitely not something that I'm interested in either I mean for some reason if it happened that suddenly you know for some odd reason it happened I'd be like okay that's really cool but definitely not based off of the effort I'm putting into it so I don't think that that would um, happen but I hope that I still you know continue to write poetry as I get older but I'm not sure we'll have to see Mm. I remember watching part of a Don DeLillo talk um, I think from like 2014 or something like that but he's he's quite old and he was talking about his first novel that he wrote when he was like 23 or something like that and it's just like I don't know I just turned 28 recently and um, it's just like the 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 fact that I'm not a child is like really hitting me <laughs> and um, like I don't know that idea of like you know all of us artists um, you know are, are fairly tortured but I feel like the support system uh, is is there for those who want it to maintain alive and healthy where it you know might not have been uh, 50 years ago for like the beat poets who mm-hmm. who just sort of like you know like um there was a poet poet who like killed himself in his friend's kitchen while everybody was sleeping like how how is how does a group of friends allow that to happen in in 2020 like it seems incredibly unlikely for you know us to let each other down like that definitely and i feel like i've i haven't really experienced you know any sort of I wouldn't say any sort of, but uh, a lot of like intensity when it comes to my writer friends, as far as like talking about what we're going through. And, you know, I don't feel this sense of, um, yeah, I guess basically I just said it like intensity as far as making sure everyone is okay. And I mean, obviously not everyone shows it all the time, but I, I definitely do have, you know, you know, some people that I know that I would say, okay, you know, they're really going through it. And that's what a lot of their writing is about. But, um, and, you know, feeling a sense of, you know, not concern, so to speak, but just like recognition, I guess, of like what someone is going through. And, but sort of what you mentioned more on the side of like, okay, everyone's going to talk about some dark, you know, dark stuff and some freaky weird stuff that you know you might think like are they okay or like what you know I hope they're on like some sort of like medication for their mental health but I I do get the sense that everyone is still you know pretty productive and not 
productive in the sense of oh, like having a job, but just being an engaging or engaged member of society that you know is is still happy to chat with everyone and be plan on being around for a long time. I don't know. I think I said that all in a very long winded mm -hmm. way, but hopefully you understand what I was trying to get at. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I do. I. It's it's something that I've been thinking about very intensely, but not for a very long time. So it's hard for me exactly to like understand exactly even what it is um, that I'm trying to get at with those thoughts. But like, I don't know, it's interesting to me, like, because um, uh, when, when I had Kevin on here, we sort of talked about that a lot, but like, and I know that he's younger than me by a couple of years. And it's just like interesting to imagine what 40 year old Kevin Gonzalez writes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I'm 24. So I'm still sort of holding on to my youth a little bit longer. Um, I feel like once I hit 25, even though it's literally just a few months away, I do feel like I'll no longer have almost like that excuse to just be like, I'm, I'm still a kid, you know? So um, but yeah, basically, I take back maybe what I said about not feeling like people are not everyone is like writing about, you know, some hard things are going through. I think it's more so that a lot of us are more like casual or nonchalant about it. You right. know what I mean? It's like, even if someone, you know, or, you know, is writing about certain issues that they're having, it's like, oh, like, you know, this is also fun at the same time. And that's something I think with this book that I wanted there to be, um, even if I'm writing about something that's a little bit dark or has been challenging for me, it's always like, okay, but I still want this to be fun at the same time. And I think I get that from a lot of other writers as well. And that's, I think, more of what I was trying to get at. Sure. Yeah, yeah I get that. Um there, there was a, a question I had just sort of like swimming around in my, my brain a couple months ago about experimental writing and like why it has to be so dark. And I, I think, I think that is also kind of an answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. I had, a, I had another thing I wanted to bring up and, and we completely derailed my brain from it. And I, I don't know what it was. Um, I think it was something along the lines of, um, like, what what is your, like, how do you see yourself as a writer? Like, what is, what is your writerly self-image like? Yeah, that's interesting, because as soon as you asked that, the word that came to mind is, like, fraud. Like, I feel like because... Oh boy. I feel like because of the philosophy that I have about my writing, I'm like, okay, I don't want to feel like I don't have, like I haven't done my due diligence as far as like training and, you know, engaging in other people's work. And so I don't want to feel like, okay, can I even call myself a writer if I'm not doing maybe as much as everyone else but I think obviously I have to give myself credit for what I have done and I think last year like the from 
like December 2018 to um, like basically, yeah, December through May, I was writing a lot and I was publishing a lot online. And I think during that time, I was very much like, you know, I'm an active writer and this is like the top priority outside, you know, as far as art goes and being an artist and whatever. And now I think that the only concern that I had with my book is like, okay, am I, you know, after this, like falling downwards into like not feeling like a writer anymore. And so I think I'm scared to feel like I would be pretentious if I considered myself a writer when I wasn't doing much or that it would be wrong to take myself too seriously if I didn't like quote like deserve it so I think that's something that's a great question for me to think about and sort of decide how I feel about myself as a writer moving forward you know is that something that I really want to feel like I am or is that something that sort of ebbs and flows and is okay to sort of step away from for a little bit so yeah mm. I, yeah that's interesting i i feel like like the imposter syndrome thing is is there and that that reminds me of i asked mike correo how he was so prolific and he's like well if i don't write for a day i feel like i'm not really a writer and that's that's a kind of a a, a bold paraphrase but like that's mm. that's there uh i think definitely and for me as well like with in doing this podcast it's like oh man like i need to make sure that i'm the writer with a podcast and not the podcaster who puts out writing sometimes mm. like there there's an internal thing there but of course um and i've talked about it here an awful lot like the publishing part of writing the the what do you do with it when you're done writing it is is something that I have far less interest in than um you know than actually like the act of writing so mm -hmm. thank god for neutral spaces but um <laughs> but yeah like that like you know like I don't know. Some sometimes I feel like I need to have like a personal manifesto behind myself that needs to have like this this stream running through everything and I don't know. Yeah. That makes sense. Um I mean it's nice. It's always nice to you know hear that someone enjoys the act of writing more than publishing. I mean, I think that's obviously the way to go. Um, as far as like considering yourself an artist, but obviously it's super exciting to publish your work as well. And I think a form of validation, a different form of validation comes from that, from um, as the validation that comes from simply writing and, you know, having, keeping work to yourself, I think. Um, and one thing sort of going back on what you said of how do I, view myself when it comes to being a writer. I think it's really important for me to consider right now that I'm 
I've been in grad school for social work and social work and something that I'm really confronting right now. And this is actually super relevant to the question. Um, something considering right now is how when you are a social worker, you have to have a very sort of professional identity, even outside of when you're in an office or whatever work you're doing, because your clients can't really know too much about you because then you start to become, you know, it's just sort of not professional to have a ton of information about yourself online that is not related to your, your professional life. And that's been really hard because with writing and as a writer, my whole philosophy, and I think this is the philosophy of like all the indie writers that I know is like very much being yourself as much as possible without any um, putting any limits on your identity. And so it's been a real struggle because I've, there are a lot of like inappropriate poems that I have online when you Google me and I've been trying to like get rid of it, like hide them. And so that's really upsetting for me. And it's something that I've been really, um, challenged by and I feel like I'm giving up a, a piece of my artistic self and I think that if it weren't for that and I actually was more focused on art and writing than trying to find a career and one that I'm passionate about but will also you know provide me with a salary I'd probably be even more focused on being a writer and and sort of being as I don't want to say like out there as possible as far as like my like being wild and silly and fun and inappropriate so yeah that's been hard hmm yeah that's yeah that's fascinating I guess I didn't really think about or you know that's not something that I've ever considered when it comes to social workers but yeah like huh because as a person who works in radio, like not being an on-air person, it's it's not so much of a thing for me. But I definitely see it, and especially my younger coworkers who are on air, like they're required to do X amount of social media posts per day as per their contract, and I guess that's kind of almost like the opposite, but it's kind of the same thing. Where like your real life has to be private enough but you're also like making instagram stories with your kid in it because that's the content that your demographic enjoys mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. and i know i know of one poet who is a therapist um her name is kim and i don't remember her last name she's um definitely sort of in the scene um, sort of more, um, there's one publishing house that she's done a lot with. Um, anyway, so that's sort of like a little bit of an inspiration, like, okay, it is possible, but also, um, yeah, it's hard. Cause if you think about therapists, like if you Googled your therapist and you saw a picture of them, like, like a weird, like sexy picture or a poem about their personal like sex life or things, you know, it'd be very 
I think a little bit jarring and you'd have a new relationship with them. And so it's, yeah, definitely something that is important for me to consider. But anyway. Yeah, that's something that you should, you know, you or one would want to talk to people who have done that before. I also see, and it's tons of memes, but like the amount of off-the-clock type interactions people seem to have with their therapists these days, (laughs) like texting them and things like that is so strange. And I don't know, like, I don't want to get too too deep into my anti-capitalism thing right now, but, like, that really feels like that's part of it. I don't know. Um, can you legally change your name so that <laughs> your your name is now a pen name and you're doing business as something different? Right. Yeah, I actually did change a few pieces online to be my first and middle name just for insurance i think i noticed that when i was digging Uh, today (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah oh man i don't know like that's an interesting thing to think about especially with how like honest everybody is and how we've been told for years like make sure you curate what's on your twitter feed because your job person might look into it yeah yeah it's completely blown my mind okay um oh man um i also find it just crazy to me that there are writers who do things other than writing i don't know why that's (laughs) so weird to me that like people have lives outside of this it's like seeing your your you know your kindergarten teacher at the liquor store like what are you doing exactly exactly yeah and just imagining like if someone we knew was randomly like a lawyer or a doctor and it's like oh my god wait you also do that and you write this like (laughs) it would be pretty hard to like not that no one is like in not capable of doing that or like isn't smart enough to do that that's not what i'm implying but it would just be like sort of bizarre to like realize right or to do it quietly because vanessa place like her whole thing in her poetry is that she's a lawyer like that's that's part of her Mm -hmm. deal you know um and i suppose too that like the only writers i've really encountered in the real world have been college professors like that makes sense to me that mm-hmm. that like oh of course you know it's weird to me when i like read my professor's poetry because you know in class they're professional and then in their poems they're like i remember my dad coming into my room when i was five years old trying to sleep you know like drunk because mom had left and you're like whoa holy cow wait a minute yeah. <laughs> for sure Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to know, this is this is another thing that's been on my mind really hardcore, is um, as far as your reading goes, um, do you um, tend to read things that are like within the scope of the type of things you would write, or do you go outside more? So 
it's definitely stuff that I specifically like and am inspired by. And I think what influenced me to write poetry in the first place was finding poems that I really, really liked. And I'm, I don't know how to say this without sounding annoying, but I'm really like picky as far as like what I find intriguing or like can engage with as far as poetry. And so I think that it makes sense to a degree that I like to read poems that get me really excited and inspired to write my own poetry that I'm influenced by or what, you know, I read that influenced me to write. Um, and I, I'm stuck between like deciding to challenge myself and then like, no one's saying I have to do this, you know, no one's forcing me to. So if I don't want to, like, is that okay too? You know, like to not force myself to step out of my comfort zone or I don't, I don't know if it's even comfort zone, just of like what I know I really like, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I find that, um, that that uh that nobody's forcing me thing to be to be really interesting um because there's so many things i feel like i should read and like mm-hmm. if, if the writing community in my head was the writing community out in the world i'd probably would never write because it'd be just unbearable but yeah that's that's um that's something really cool do you find w- one of the problems i find with reading people who write like how I like to write or would like to write is that I can't read them for extended periods of time because I just get too excited and have to put the book down to go write myself. Do you find (laughs) that uh, to be something you encounter? Like want, like getting so excited by reading something that I like have to stop and go, go write. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. I think maybe it's that, yeah, it brings an idea to mind that I don't want to lose, but I've never really noticed one way or another, I think. And also I want to clarify that it's really just poetry that I like to read, um, similar to, to how I write, but for other things like short stories or, you know, other things that are published online that isn't poetry, I definitely really, I can enjoy certain things that I would never write, you know, so I just want to make that sure. clear because there are a lot of writers who definitely don't write like me and I'm still really big fans of them. So I just want to <laughs> make that clear. Sure. So, yeah. That's fair. What are, do you have um, like online literary magazines or publications that you frequent fairly regularly? Um, I would say you know the nervous breakdown um new york tyrant um gosh used to read like x-ray lit and i want to go back to it i haven't really i don't know if i don't follow them or i haven't seen new stuff come from there um Mm. what else i'm like totally drawing a blank right now but i think also since the pandemic i haven't been reading that much 
Um, and I think back when I was, oh, and also some stories on Hobart. I think mm. I um, one of the most fun things, I don't know how to describe it because it's definitely not one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life, but something that was really exciting was, do you know, like the neutral spaces mixtapes that yeah. I used to, I did one and to get to pick um, like four or five pieces that I, I loved was just, so exciting because i used to want to be a curator for like an art um like contemporary art and so it's always been when i find something that i really like i'm so excited to like show other people and so that was like super exciting for me and so and those pieces came from all sorts of places um online but yeah that was really fun yeah, that that was a good idea. I was going to do one and then I never did. But yeah, I just found yours. So oh, you found it? I just found it, yeah. Can you read the list of authors? I, I sure can. Yeah, uh, The Truth About Miss Katie, Ashley Bryant Phillips, Sweeney Frogs, Rebecca Morgan, Your Title, Christine, oh dear, Brash, yeah. maybe? Brach? Bracha? Yeah. Uh, Racket, Jackson Franz, and Roadkill by Julia Escoria. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a fun way to, um, you know, making playlists of, of stories is interesting to me. Um, especially because there's so many places that writing is put online these days that, and there's not a good like central hub, like any sort of writing type stuff that you're going to find on Reddit is not this sort of thing generally. Yeah. It would actually be cool to like, security I don't message. know how many people oh would my be goodness. Your computer has been Hold locked on. up. Your IP address was used without your I've, knowledge or consent to visit somebody, web... Somebody hacked a thing. <laughs> One of the poems I clicked on just went to a weird thing. Um, <laughs> that was strange. Like, it redirected to a website that made me think my computer was hacked. I don't know oh, if any no. of that came through, but that was ridiculous. What were we saying? I was just going to say, maybe it would be a cool idea for me to have, like, a website where I actually curate pieces and like go through all the different journals and like say like this like here's a list of the this past month's pieces that I love and so that people don't have to necessarily search through all the different websites and just be like you should check these stories out from sort of like a mixtape like every month or something yeah yeah I'd be into that I think I think that's starting to come back a little bit like the the one person's blog where they talk about writing that they like is is starting Mm -hmm. to come back into fashion a little bit but i would encourage that to be sure because i don't know like i guess i guess i kind of like the the refinement of curating something that's already curated or curating among a group of things that are already curated but yeah that's true maybe it'd be too much (laughs) i don't know i I feel like the refinement is good there's 
I feel like in the internet age, people latch on to personalities. Um, so if you can, you know, if you have one or can create one, at least insofar as the type of writing that you collect, um, that that's better for everybody in the long run. And just kind okay. of shuffling up where things live is probably always good, especially in like the SEO game and stuff like that, that, you know, the more places that are out there um, presenting, you know, Juliet Escoria to, to other people, the better for when somebody Googles something related to that. Definitely. Do you, do you ever think about like, how to get people who aren't in the scene to read the books that come out of this ecosystem? I've definitely tried before, like recommending books to friends. Um, but I haven't really, I think, tried to get anyone like fully roped into the cycle of like, books that come out or checking out websites regularly. So not so much, but I definitely have shared things that I've enjoyed with people who are not so much, you know, into it themselves already. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while I'll go on to, to the suggest me a book subreddit or something like that and suggest you know, one of the books that comes out of, out of this strange little world. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's not much, but it's honest work sort of thing that I, I feel like yeah. when I do it, but I don't know, like I, I've had several little ideas like that. Like everybody just needs to call any library within driving distance and give them, you know, the list of 2020 indie lit books that are great and ask them to buy them. Yeah, you know, because like, it can't hurt. You know, like recommending things, like you said on Reddit, like it can't hurt. You know, <laughs> right? You know, or like call your favorite English high school teacher and and just be <laughs> like, hey, you know, instead of Catcher in the Rye, how about you know, like an Black early Dog. Noah Cicero book or something like that? Like it hits yeah. the same beats, but it's actually written by somebody who's alive. Definitely. I mean, I think that that could go sour depending on what is recommended but sure yeah I... no definitely some some things that would be really cool for like a high school class right maybe nothing from Eraserhead press or anything like that but there there's certainly books that like could be taught instead of to kill a mockingbird that would teach the same sociological concepts i think Definitely. All right. We are nearing an hour. So at this point, I will give you the chance to uh, have the last word. So whether that be just plugging your your book and your stuff or quick reading a manifesto or, or whatever, the floor is now yours for the next couple moments. Um, gosh. I mean, I would just say take chances with the art you engage in I think you know pick up a random book of poems from a local bookstore that you just choose at random maybe someone you've never heard of before and just like 
see what happens. I mean, I'm sort of ironically saying this and need to take my own advice, but I think now is just a great time to be as adventurous as possible. And I, yeah, that's something I think I would want to suggest to the, the world and also plugging my book you know pick up hot young stars from house of lad um let's see um house of lad vlad.bigcartel.com check out the whole site some great books on there um yeah i've had a lot of fun talking to you this has been this is my first podcast so hopefully um it was enjoyable and <laughs> I'm really happy to be here and happy to imagine what your dog looks like. And as you've described to me off air, so now everyone else can mm-hmm. try and use their imagination and peace out. Yeah. I'm going to read a few poems. Uh, some of these are from my chat book. Uh, which is called Find Peace Either Way. Some of this is from Hot Young Stars. And essentially, none of them have titles. So what I'm going to do is give a moment of space in between each poem. And yeah, hope you enjoy. The circus is different in Las Vegas. I felt my heart on my leg. I broke glass in the pool. I spilled my drink in the pool and it touched my leg and I kept it there. I spilled something on the hotel room floor. I let my hair down in the pool after I broke my glass and swam in it. I spilled my drink on my hand and my leg and down the side of my glass. I got it all over my leg and I kept it there. Going against your will is your will. When will we cry? I left mine in my purse. A young girl can dance and win awards. Some people can stand on a horse. The first time I had a flashback to a a past life was when a child sang the star-spangled banner to a crowd. I put a candle out with my crystal, pink. Pink is for girls only. Men are so boring that they like girls. Men have no imagination, so they like girls. As a woman, I am letting go. Pink never looked good with red hair. If my name was Sonia, I would be beautiful, just like I am now. My grandmother knows a Sonia who might have passed away because I cannot remember. My grandmother has a friend, Annabelle, whom she called twice several weeks ago and had not heard. Annabelle might have died, my grandmother thought. Several weeks later, she received a call from Annabelle. I am in the hospital, Sylvia. I broke my hip. I am alive. She spoke of crystals. One girl reminds me of another from a different planet. There are little with the power I covet. Thou shall not covet. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Embarrassment from wetting yourself. I clutch your tears. Your innocence is resolute. 
There's no barrier between myself and mothering. I suspect you do not get clammy, but have in the past. Now you sweat with assurance. Mom is proud and you're distant enough from her.